This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. Hey, welcome, and if you are new with us, we are super glad that you are here. We've been expecting you. We've been praying for you, so you've walked into a place we hope you'll be able to say, gosh, I feel like I'm home. And to help you feel like you're home, you can scan the QR code anytime that's convenient for you on the chair in front of you, and that will help you get more connected to everything Grace Collective. Now, if you're someone who's already regularly with us, welcome back, and if you're online this morning, Welcome in. We hope you'll take advantage of just checking in with the chat. Tell us who you are, where you're from. We'd love to know all those things as we uh, connect with you, even through uh, online um, opportunities. Hey, so this is week number three in our message series called Getting It Right. And what we've been doing is we've been kind of asking this about the church, like the church, big C church, you know, the church universal, the church in the world. Hey, church, are we getting it right? But it's also something we're asking about local churches, like, hey, Grace Collective, as a local church, are we getting it right? But it even goes more personal than that, because the reality is the church is not a building, right? The church is the the people. So, like, you're the church, 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 I'm the church. So we're the church individually. So, like, are you getting it right? Am I getting it right being the church that Jesus asks us to be? And, And here's why this is so, so important. Listen. As the church, when we get it right, we are unsinkable. But when we get it wrong, the consequences are unthinkable. So we've got to begin to ask that question, are we getting it right? When we get it right, nothing can stop us. Like we're changing lives, we're healing families, we're impacting our culture, we're shaping nations. And some of you are thinking right now, like, whoa, 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 hold on, like, Rich, like, dude, what have you been smoking? Because the only church I've ever been associated with, the only church I ever heard about or experienced was like I'd show up on Sunday mornings and we'd sing some songs, hear a message, maybe say some prayers, and I'd go home feeling a little bit better about myself than I did when I walked in. Well, if we're the ones that got to set the standard for what it means to get it right, then that would fly. But we don't get to do that, so that doesn't fly. See, remember what Jesus said. He would build his church. So Jesus gets to set the standard. Now, here's the standard that Jesus set. It's super simple. Ready? Jesus set the standard for his church. Make disciples. That's it. Like, if you want to get a a one-sentence job description for the church, that's it. Make disciples. And around here at Grace Collective, we talk about making disciples in two ways, two kinds of disciples. Number one, We like to make new disciples. That's where we connect people who do not know Jesus to Jesus. We we take them from where they are and say, here's who Jesus is. He can change your life. And then he grows them up from there. We make new disciples. The second one we make is better disciples. So if you're already a follower of Jesus, which many of you are already, you're a follower of Jesus, but we want to make you better at following Jesus. We want to make you better at being a disciple and then making disciples. So we want to make you a better disciple. So we talk about fulfilling Jesus' command for us to make disciples by making new and better disciples. And listen, when Jesus gave that as the job description of the church, it wasn't new. God had been saying that from the very beginning when he began to first form and shape and call his people his people. I go way back in the Old Testament to a man named Abraham. And and God went to Abraham and God said to Abraham, hey, Abraham, I know. Like, I know you're 100 years old. I know your wife, Sarah, is 90 years old. And I get it. You don't have any children. But Abraham, I'm going to make you 
into a great nation. Like Abraham, your descendants are going to be so numerous. They're going to be like like the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the beach. They're going to be uncountable. I'm going to do that. And God did it. God did it. Abraham and Sarah, they had a son named Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. He had more than that. He had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. That's just history. That is, that is the Israelites or the Jewish people's history. It all started way back with a guy named Abraham. And, and God didn't say, oh, now that I've got y'all, you're my church. He didn't call them a church. A church was a word that Jesus used later in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God just said, you're my people. You're my people. Which, by the way, that's what Jesus was calling us to, uh, his people. Ecclesia was the name of a gathering, a movement of people. So God said, hey, back in the Old Testament, hey, I'm, I'm forming this, this, this people into my people. And now that you are my people, I'm giving you a job to do as my people. Like there are other people in the world, other nations, other people in the world. And God said, as my people, Israelites, I want you to go to all the other people that I want them to be my people too. So that was their job, like from day one. And at first, they like, they started out okay. They're a little bit shaky. And over time... They got really bad at their job. They began looking inside. Like instead of looking outside, they were inward facing over and over again. You read about this. They got so concerned about who they were, they forgot about everybody else. They're like, hey, we want to get it right inside. So we're going to huddle up and we're going to make sure we're obeying the right rules and and having the right rituals and saying the right prayers and and singing the right songs at the right time on the right day. And so they had all these rules that they made up and they began to follow rules rather than follow what God told them to do. And they lost sight of getting it right. They were so concerned about getting it right inside, they forgot about getting it right Outside, And it just begs the question, like, are, are, are we as, as a local church, are we as individuals as part of the church, are we, are we getting it right? Are we, are we more concerned about getting it right inside than we are about getting it right outside? Like, are, are we more concerned about following rules than about following Jesus? Hey, so go back for a minute to the idea of us, the church, changing lives, healing families, impacting culture, and shaping nations. Because that's what, happen, that's what happens. When we connect people, when we, when we get it right, and we start connecting people to Jesus, you know, that's what happens. I mean, what are we as the church except a bunch of changed lives, right? And here's the reality. Changed lives change lives. That's what happens. I, I, I'm kind of a, a, a geek at this. But I, I, I geek out like looking at names of churches, like cool names of churches. Like remember when, remember when church names were always like, what church do you go to? Well, I go to First Church of the so-and-so in so-and-so, right? You know, I'm, I'm at First Church in, in this town. And I said, unless you're a Baptist, then you had First Church, Second Church, Third Church, and Fourth Church all in the same town, right? Some of you are like Baptists, like, I don't think that's very funny. <laughs> Experience tells me it's reality. Um, but that's, that's how we always name churches. First church of, second church of. But now, there's like really, really cool churches with edgy names. I just love checking out edgy names for churches. Like our friends down at Refuge, right down the street here in Manor. What a cool name for a church. Or, or churches like Faith Bridge or Journey Church. I, I, I met a pastor once. He named his church Salty Church. They're in Ormond Beach, Florida. It makes sense, right? You, you walk in like, what, are you going to treat me real salty? Maybe, you know. But yeah, we're the salt of the earth. We want to love you like Jesus. You know, so their names. And there's a church in North Carolina called Hydrant Church. Hydrant, like a fire hydrant. That's their little symbol is a hydrant. 
And it's because, hey, hey, can you imagine? Like, we're going to be the life-giving water Jesus just spewed out on everybody. How cool is that? But of all those, like, church names are cool and edgy out there, the one I think I like best is a church that some of you have been to with me. I've taken some of you to conferences there. They're in Pennsylvania. It's called LCBC. LCBC. Lives Changed by Christ. That's it, right? That, they, they got it. Hey, what church are you? Oh, we're, we're just a bunch of lives changed by Christ. What is it you do? Oh, we're all about lives changed by Christ. And that's what they do. And they're killing it over there in central Pennsylvania. It's, it's an amazing church. I just love their name. That's getting it right. Lives changed by Christ. When Jesus, listen, when, when Jesus launched his church, this is what they were doing. They were changing lives and healing families. And, and they were impacting their culture. They were shaping nations. I mean, literally, the early church changed the world. And it, it wasn't because it was easy. Like, we can sit here all day long and say, yeah, but you know, they weren't doing that today in today's culture. It's, it was easier back then. Like today, like nobody wants to hear about Jesus. I can't even talk about Jesus at school or at work, you know. Hey, easier back then? Unless you have some insider information I don't know about, can I just remind you? They gave their lives. It cost them their lives to tell people about Jesus. Like, what do we got? Like, people are going to make fun of you? Oh, that's, a, that's, that's not even equal, right? It was, they lived in a much more hostile environment than we ever have when it came to sharing the name of Jesus. But they did it. They were so in love with Jesus. They just, they just kept telling people about Jesus. He kept changing their lives. Like, listen, so much. So much was against the church. It should never have started. It should never have survived, but it did. It should never have thrived. But here we are. Even when the world's most powerful leaders and powerful rulers and powerful kings and powerful armies did everything in their power to extinguish the church, they couldn't. They, they couldn't. It's like we said last week. The church is one of history's greatest mysteries. Historians, historians will tell you, like, we're not even church people. We're not even Christians. We're not even followers of Jesus. We just don't understand, though, how it worked. We cannot explain how the church started or why it survived. So let me take a shot at it, all right? Here's why the church started and survived and thrived. Here's why. Century after century, generation after generation, God's church has persevered and proven Unstoppable. Here's why. It's because when God launched his church, he didn't launch it with human power or human ideas or human um, resources or, or human uh, uh, just, you know, giftings. When he launched his church, he launched his church with his power, with his Holy Spirit. And then what he did is he just called people to join him in it. He's like, hey, I'm going to do something so amazing, and I'm going to change the world. You want to be part of it? And he just called people, and they weren't like, he just called remarkable people. In fact, read through scripture. He called really not remarkable people and just had them do remarkable things, equipping them. He called, he called ordinary people like you and me to do extraordinary things. He called very stoppable people, but he built them into something unstoppable absolutely unstoppable and that's been the storyline of the church getting it right people being willing to follow Jesus 
and being made unstoppable. Now, let me, let me step aside from this message and talk about something that I want to make sure we, we learn to differentiate. Uh, and this is something you're going to hear about in our next message series next month. We're just talk about uh, you and me living ridiculously and radical, radically generous lives. But we, we use a word for us a lot of times called Christian, right? It's a biblical term. Uh, we hear about it in scripture. Oh, they were, they were little Christs. You know, they call them Christians. And we use that word. Uh, but like so many other ideas or words from scripture, we take it and we massage it and we manipulate it so it doesn't mean today what it meant back then. Like today we use the word Christian to describe or define somebody who believes in Jesus, right? Oh, you believe in Jesus. You believe in the Bible. You believe the truth of the word. You believe going to church is important. You're a Christian. Can I just remind you that Jesus never asked you to believe in him? And if someone's going to say, well, what about in you know, John, the book of John, Rich, where, where Jesus said, believe in the Father. You also believe in me. Yeah, but that's not the word he used. We translate it believe, but the word Jesus used in that original language is not some mental ascent like we use it as. The word Jesus used meant to entrust yourself fully to. Jesus, I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to entrust myself to you. I'm going to give my entire life for you and to you. That's different than saying, I believe God's real. I believe Jesus existed. I, I believe. I believe. It's different. So, so we, we'll use the word Christian, hopefully for more biblical than more cultural understanding. But what I like to pre I prefer using is followers of Jesus. Because that's what Jesus actually said, right? Hey, come follow me. Not like a puppy follows you around the yard, but someone who follows Jesus wants to be like Jesus. Jesus said, oh, follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. And now that you're following me, go out and get more people to follow me. So there's a distinction. We'll talk about that more next month. But this is what Jesus asks. Jesus asks you to follow him. And then he says, now go help others follow me too. But that's not always as easy as it sounds. There are things standing in the way of that. And to help illustrate that, take a look at this. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy has done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys? Let me go. 
Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. I know that's a, a creative uh, filmmaker's perspective on a passage of scripture, but I love, I love what Dallas Jenkins does with, with just the personalities, right? You know, um, here's Jesus willing just to invite anybody and everybody to follow him. Even Matthew, the tax collector. And Matthew, he's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, me? You want me to join you? Yeah, I do. Just come follow me. And then the Roman guard, he's like, are you crazy? You're throwing everything away. Like the Roman guard could not conceive of this street preacher, this ragtag group of people ever becoming anything. And, and you're going to give everything to become part of nothing. In fact, if you, if you would have stepped into that scene and you would have said to the Roman guard or the, or the Romans in general or to, to anybody else in, in that whole entire culture, if you would have said, you know what? There's a day coming when the Roman empire won't even be anymore. They would have said, well, well, no way. But the church it's going to last forever. Like, where's the Roman Empire today? Nowhere. Where's the church? Everywhere. They would not have believed that. And then, then there's Peter in that scene, right? Peter's the one that went up to Jesus and said, wait, 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 wait. What are you doing? Do you even know this? Do you know what he's done? He's, he's voicing the thoughts in every other that little band of people's heads. Like, no way. Not the tax collector. Not him. And I, and I love, I love Peter's speech. Like, that was, this is different. And what's Jesus say? So now you know why I'm wearing the shirt, right? Yeah, I'm not just promoting the chosen. I'm actually wearing it for the sermon. Like, hey, get used to different. They had to get used to different because the church had lost its mission. God's people had forgotten. They'd become so inward focused. They're like, we don't even know what's out there anymore. In fact, the people who were supposed to be telling all the other people that God wanted to be the, his people... They, they didn't just forget about those other people. They rejected those other people. They stiff-armed them. They said, no, like we're the people that's got it right. And you're not getting it right. You cannot be part of God's people. I, I, I love the fact that I think they capture that so well in that even, even you know, Peter, when he, he's Jewish, like, hey, this is who God likes. We're who God's li God likes, not those people. And I love Jesus, you know, get used to different. For generations, God's people had not gotten it right. It was time for something different. When, when God's people were trying to be righteous and pious, like we go to church. We, we're the ones um, who, who, who say the prayers. We sing the songs. And those people don't. And, and they are not. 
And they never will be. And God could not possibly. And Jesus was like, watch me. Just watch me. People who the church rejected were so loved by Jesus. And this is, this is an amazing and major difference between the church not getting it right and Jesus getting it right. Listen, this, 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 here, here's a difference. We need to understand this. Jesus did not start with who people were. Jesus started with who he was. He's like, hey, this is who I am. I, I don't, right now, I don't really care who you are, where you're from, what you've done. You just need to know that who, who I am. And I love you. And I love you. Just come follow me. Come hang out with me. Come listen to me. Come see what I do. Go where I go. And I'll start to rub off on you. And at some point, you're going to start asking me questions. I'm going to give you answers. And I'm going to change your life. But we don't need to start there. Let's just start by you knowing who I am, period. And then we'll deal with your stuff after that. And this may be really important for you today. Like maybe you're sitting here or you're watching online. You're like, there's no way. There's no way God could ever want me or use me or love me. I don't bring anything to the table that's, that's good enough for God. And I've been places that he probably doesn't want me to be. And I know I've been far away from him. There's no way. Listen, if that's your attitude or your thought, you've probably met the church, but you've never met Jesus. And Jesus loves you. He's saying, hey, let's not start with who you are. Let's just start with who I am. Come follow Come follow. Come follow me. You know, there's not a person who has ever come to Jesus, who will ever come to Jesus, who doesn't have to be changed. Like, I gave, I gave my life to Jesus 50 years ago. Literally 50 years ago. I know, it's weird because you think I'm only 42. I gave my life to Jesus 50 years ago when, when I, was, I was six years old. And, and in my home church, First Church of Butler, like, right the names. Uh, every once in a while, we would have missionaries that we supported as a church, you know, somewhere in the world. They would come back on furlough. They'd make their rounds of the churches that were supporting them, including ours. And so they would come to First Church in Butler, and our pastor would say, hey, uh, we, need, we need some uh, host family for this missionary for the next few uh, days. And my mom and dad were like, we'll do it. And so we always had, you know, missionaries, you know, staying in our house every once in a while, every couple of years. And there's this one missionary. I don't even remember where she was missionary-ing. She was from somewhere, but she came back and she stayed at our home. And we got this one-on-one time with her around our dinner table. I got to know her a little bit for a few days. And then that weekend, she spoke to different groups at the church. She preached in, in our worship service. And then she came to the Sunday school. Like, we had Sunday school hour between. Remember that? Sunday school between the services. And she came to my little first grade Sunday school class. And she told us about Jesus, like Jesus who was with her where she was and doing this work and changing people's lives. And it's amazing. We're like, wow. And then at the end of that time, she said, if you want Jesus in your life, if you want Jesus to be in your life, you can ask him. You can invite him in right now. He'll come into your life. Do you want to do that? I'm like, yes. I want that. Not that I don't want the flannel board Jesus anymore. I want that Jesus. Like, I want that Jesus in my life. And I gave that day, I gave my life to Jesus. And I've been doing it every day since. Listen, coming to Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, it's not a one-off. It's an ongoing. Every day. Listen, y'all, I don't know if you don't know me well, but I'm a work in progress. And, and so every day I've got to get before Jesus and say, okay, do your work. Because I'm not who I need to be yet. Listen, th- that's what's so beautiful about Jesus. That's the beauty of coming to Jesus. You come as you are because he is who he is. 
And then he begins working on you, readying you for what he wants you to do. Like in that clip from The Chosen, did you catch that? They're starting walking away from the tax booth. And Peter says to Matthew, what's with the tablet? And Matthew's like, I don't know. I just grabbed it without thinking. I can put it back if you want me to. And remember what Jesus said? He said, no, hold on to it. You might find some use for it yet. That's supposed to be funny. Because Matthew wrote the gospel of Matthew. Like, hey, you're going to probably find a good use for that. Yeah, go ahead and hold on to that. It's the first book of our New Testament. Here's, here's this guy who nobody wanted to be part of, you know, part of the group, part of the in gang. But Jesus invited anyway. He's the most undeserving person to, to be asked to follow Jesus because he was a tax collector. And, and he, he writes the book of Matthew. From the book of Matthew, we get the nativity story. We, we get Jesus walking on water. We get the Great Commission. None of the other writers write about that. From Matthew comes that. Matthew's life was changed, and he's still changing lives today because we read the stuff from his tablet. That's what Jesus does. And, and listen, by calling Matthew, by calling Matthew, Jesus set the standard for who he wants and what he wants the church to do and to be. But that's not the only example or only time he did that. Let me show you one more example real quick. Some of you remember this. Um, when Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. Remember two weeks ago we talked about Jesus being way up north. As far north as we ever have record of him going in an area called Caesarea Philippi. Remember that? He's up in Caesarea Philippi. And, and he, that's where he said, hey, I'm going to build my church. Not even the gates of Hades. Like nothing in the world, nothing in all of creation will be able to stand against my church that I'm going to build. You're going to be unstoppable, right? So Caesarea Philippi is where he says that. And then he leaves Caesarea Philippi and begins his journey down south. It's a three to four day journey if you're walking straight down like 15, 20 miles a day to get to Jerusalem. He takes his time. He meanders down. It's his last time. He gets down almost there, like 17 miles from it, several days down. And he stops in a town called Jericho. He passes through. This is not Jericho where the walls fell down in the Old Testament. This is a new Jericho. It's right along the Jordan River. It was, it was an oasis city. It was called the City of Palms. It was beautiful. It was lush. It had all these natural springs. And it was just wonderful for growing things. And it was the, it was the town that catered to the rich and famous. This is, where, this is where the king wanted to build his castle. This is where people wanted to go and have their summer homes or all-year homes. The wealthy lived in Jericho. And Jesus was passing through. And it's no surprise that a man lived there named Zacchaeus. And now you're all singing the song, the wee little man, right, in your head. And so Zacchaeus was there because he's wealthy. And he was wealthy because he was a tax collector. Now, he, nobody liked him because the tax collector, what he did is he like, charged his own people more than he was supposed to. And he paid that money uh, to Rome, the enemy, but he kept part of it, all the extra for himself, and it made him rich. The other tax collectors didn't even like him because he was, he was the guy, you know, in that city making money every day because it was a wealthy area. So nobody liked and nobody loved and nobody wanted Zacchaeus around. He wasn't going and invited to any dinners or parties or bar mitzvahs. He wasn't, definitely wasn't going to synagogue or a temple or at church anywhere, right? He's that guy. But something, something in Zacchaeus' life was just off tune. Like he just knew something needed to change. And so one day he heard about Jesus, this, this, this rabbi who he's heard about was passing through town. He, he hears him coming. Hey, I want to get a look at him, but because he was such a wee little man, such a wee little man was he. Right? <laughs> You're singing the song again. You'll thank me later. 
So, but the crowd was so big, he couldn't see him. So he runs ahead. He said, okay, he's going down First Street. I'm going to down First Street. There's, there's, a, there's a tree right there. I'm going to climb up in this tree and I'm going to watch. I just want to see, see who this guy is. And unbeknownst to him, Jesus walks right to the tree where Zacchaeus was sitting up in a branch. And he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, how do you know my name? Because I know you. Come on down because I, I need to stay at your house today. And Zacchaeus climbs down. And at some point, either at the base of the tree, on their way there, when they get to the house, at some point along that way, people start grumbling. Because remember, there are crowds around. They're, they're all going. They're all going to Passover down in Jerusalem. So it's not like Jesus with this married man to man. You know, he, this is Jesus in a crowd and hundreds, even thousands of people are crowding around. And people start saying things like, hey, look at Jesus. Wait, wait a minute. Jesus, you're supposed to be the rabbi? You're the voice of, you know, God's teaching for us? You're going to hang out with sinners? You can't do that because, you know, God wouldn't do that. Because we go to church. We're the right people. And, and, and Zacchaeus, he doesn't do that. And he'll never do that. God cannot possibly. And Jesus was like, watch me. Just watch me. And he went and had dinner at Zacchaeus' house. And when the people were grumbling, Jesus said, Jesus said something really interesting. Let me read the beginning of it to you. Then I'll read the rest of it to you. Je- Jesus said, He said, hey, today salvation has come to this house. Like he he knew that something was changing in Zacchaeus' life right then and there just from hanging out with him just for a little while. It's interesting. That could have happened at the tree, on the way to the house, at the house. When they went and they threw a dinner party like this, because Zacchaeus like, I'm throwing, if you're coming to my house, this is going to be a party. And so he invited his tax collector friends, other people who had nowhere else to go, right? And and they went, I'll join there. But when you have a dinner party like that at someone's wealthy person's house, you didn't eat in the kitchen. You didn't eat in a dining room. You ate in an open air dining area. And that, that allowed people to walk by to see who you're eating with. It allowed people to walk in, sometimes even join the dinner if you, if you invited them in. So people could have been standing all around. Like, can you imagine having dinner with your family and your friends and, and people are just around like, like this, <laughs> watching you eat? Like, it's like you're at a window at a restaurant and people walk by on the outside just stop and look at you when you're eating. People are just probably watching us. And, and Jesus said, hey, today salvation has come to this house. This guy's new. He's different. And then this is what he said. He concluded with this. Jesus said, for the son of man, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, Son of Man, it's just a title. It was a title for Jesus. In fact, it was Jesus' favorite title for himself, the Son of Man. It's used 81 times in the first four books in the New Testament alone. The Son of Man. He didn't make it up, though. It came from generations, uh, centuries before that. Remember Daniel, like Daniel in the lion's den? Remember Daniel in the lion's den way back in the Old Testament? That Daniel was a prophet um, who was someone God was using. And one night, God gave that Daniel a dream, a vision about all these things about heaven and what was going to happen on earth. And at the end of it, there was the one who was the authority of heaven. And in that vision, he was called the Son of Man. And it became known to the Jews, hey, this, that's the title for the Messiah. That's the title for the Savior, the one who's going to come rescue us, the Son of Man. And so Jesus began using that for himself because of who he was. And Jesus wasn't flashy. Jesus didn't go around saying, hey, everybody, I'm here. Hey, hey, by the way, I'm the king of kings, Lord of lords, salvation. Come on, it's all about me. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus just did what he did. Jesus was kind of more subtle. But every once in a while, he'd throw something like this. Hey, by the way, the son of man, that's who I am. The son of man. So that's the title. That's what that means. But now look, now look at what Jesus 
came to do. He said, to seek and to save the lost. Like, this is who I am, but this, this is what I do, to seek and to save the lost. Listen, if you gave Jesus a one-sentence job description, that is it. That is it, to seek and save the lost. And by the way, the word lost is not a derogatory term. Listen, biblically, the word lost is just a term that means you're not living with God right now. Like you're not in a right relationship with God. It just means you're lost. It's not derogatory. It's not who you are. It's just where you are in life right now. In fact, you've probably used that about yourself. Like, I don't know what classes I'm supposed to take in college. I'm so lost. Or I don't know what's going on with my friends. Like, they, they keep ditching me. I, I just feel so lost. I don't know what's going on in my social media. Like, people are talking nice to me there, but behind my back, I'm so lost. I don't know what's going on in my marriage right now. I just feel so lost. It's not who you are. It's just where you are at that season of your life. And so, so that, that's, that's kind of what we're, we're talking about when you say the lost. It's not who you are. It's just where you are. And Jesus knows, hey, you're not walking with God. You're not where you need to be in a relationship, right relationship with God. You're lost. I've come to seek you and to save you. I'm here to, to help you get your life on track. So Jesus doesn't start with who you are or, or where you are. He's, he's, those are important to him. He starts with who he is. But he does care about who and where you are. In fact, he cares so much. He came to seek you and to save you. And that's the standard that he has set for his church. He said it maybe in different words like, hey, go make disciples. You'll be my witnesses in, you know, to the ends of the earth. Or you're the light of the world. This is what he meant. Go seek and save the lost. That's Jesus' plan A and plan B and plan C. There's no other plan. Like the church is Jesus' succession plan, period. And when, when he started that, and what, like what he started, we're supposed to finish that. We're supposed to carry it on. That's the job of the church. That's who we are. And we have to do this so intentionally, connecting people to Jesus. We have to be so intentional. And, and here's, here's, you hear this a lot around here too. This is why we talk about the 70-30 principle at Grace Collective. We believe that 70% of, of, of what we do, of how we, how we resource and what ministries we provide should be outward facing. We believe that 70% of our energy, effort, time, finances should be outward facing, meaning towards the lost. And 30% should be facing inward towards those of us who are already following Jesus. And here's why. We understand, and you probably know this too, if you've ever been in a church before, before this one, you know what happens in churches. Same thing that happened with the Jewish people way back when. We become so inward focused, we forget about the outside. We, we begin saying things like, what suits us? What music do we want to listen to? What color chairs do we want in our building? What, what's going to make us happy? Can I remind all of us today? That Jesus didn't come to make us happy. Jesus came to make us holy. So, so we understand that that's a natural trend among churches. Like That would be true for us too, unless we're super intentional. And that's why we make it so lopsided, like 70-30. Because if we don't, we'll fall into the same trap here at Grace Collective. We'll start thinking, hey, we're getting it so much right inside that we never get it right outside. So getting it right... Getting it right is not about us inside as much as it is outside, right? That's just following Jesus. We, we want to make sure that we are, we're looking at what our leader does. If our leader said, hey, I've come to seek and save lost, then we follow our leader. When we follow Jesus, that's what we do too. 
And that is getting it right. Grace Collective, we have got to get this right. We, like, you've got to get right. You've got to get right. And I've got to get right. We've got to get this right. And when we do, here's what's going to happen. People that you know are going to have their lives changed. Families that you know, maybe even your own family, they're going to get healed. And the community and the culture that you're living in right now is going to be impacted. It's going to be shaped by the love of Jesus because we're, because we're getting it right. We are the stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. And this is what it looks like when the church is getting it right. Now, we've got a whole lot more to, to kind of unpack and, and say about that. We've got two more weeks to do that, the last two weeks of weekends of, of October. But for now, let me just give you this week's weekly ask. And this is really important. I want you to get with somebody. If you're new this morning, this is not something to think about because thinking never changed lives, but action changes lives and heals families, impacts culture and communities and shapes nations. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to get somebody, you to get somebody and do this. Maybe, maybe someone from the church, someone from your life group, another trusted Christian friend. And here, here's number one for you. Number one, talk about who do you know? Like make a list. Who do you know that needs to know Jesus? Write down one or two or three names. You could list way more, but let's just focus in on one, two, or three names. Who do you know that needs to know Jesus? And number two, talk about this. Thank you. It's like a, like a drum roll leading in. What are you doing about it? Like, who do you know that needs to know Jesus? And what do you do? If you're saying nothing, then you're not following Jesus. So, so what are you doing about it? And that doesn't help you out. Number three, invite them to meet Jesus. Invite them to church. Now, ultimately, we're not inviting people to church. You know, we're not going to get to heaven one day and stand in front of, um, in front of God. And he's going to say, well, did you go to church? That, that's not how it works. We're inviting them to Jesus. He's going to, hey, do you know Jesus? Do you know my son, Jesus? That's what God's going to ask. So we're inviting them to Jesus, but I think, I think the church is a tool that God developed and Jesus launched to help do that. So, so invite them here, ultimately, to invite them to Jesus. But invite them to your life group. Man, that's, that's, a, that's an easy ask. That's a baby step, right? You don't need to come into a, you know, where the church, we're full of people you don't know, but I'm going to this guy's house, and we're going to sit around his fire pit, and that's really cool. Come and join us. So just what, what are you doing about it? Invite them. Invite them to meet Jesus. Now, the last one is for you parents. If you've got kids down, um, downstairs today in crew, they're having so much fun down there. It's, it's mystery month. They're learning about the church by solving mysteries. It's super cool. But here is talking point. Wow, this is fantastic. Talking point. <laughs> But the big moments, we should have you up here the, the entire, should have you up the entire sermon. Like, big point coming up, boom. Um, but here's a talking point. Your kids want to talk with you all about, uh, all, all week. Who is the church for? That's the mystery they're solving downstairs today. So invite your kids to talk about that. Hey, we're going to sing two more songs. Um, maybe with or without the piano, I'm, I'm not sure. So, so but, but before we do that, let me pray us in. Jesus, you are so good. To step up and step in and, and, and say, hey, you aren't getting it right. So I came to show you what it means to get it right. And that means to be outward facing and, and seeking and saving the lost. Lord, if that's what you came to do and you're our leader, then how can we do anything else? Help us to do that. Seek and save the lost to make new and better disciples. Father, we want to do this really well. We want to get it right so that people get to know you and their lives are saved for eternity. So equip us to do what we could never do as we follow you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.